0: sending a cold email or, or listen, I'm a founder, right? And I still have a lot of issues making cold calls, right? It stresses me the hell out Um, and you would think I, I don't have anybody over top of me who's telling me that I need to make a cold call, right? You know, I don't, I don't have some, like I'm not on some performance plan that's telling me that I'm about to lose my job in six months. Um, you know, so those things are impactful to people. And going back to our resiliency discussion, um, some people don't have the resiliency to do that within the time frame that you want them to do it in. And that's the, most, that's the most important thing. And that's why going back to, it's not the thing that you do, it's the timing of the thing that you do. All right, and that's what we need to understand is that if we want to build resilient organizations full of culturally diverse people, um, then we have to zoom out a little bit and manage on a a more real-time basis.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Brian Smith. Brian's the co-founder and CEO of Leon Health Science. It's a service that, and I'm quoting here, helps companies figure shit out when it comes to employees' happiness, well-being, and performance. That's the key. Well-being is the key to performance, to improving performance, to enabling people to become the best version of themselves. And we have to stop thinking that the answer to every sales performance issue is to work harder. Now, in this conversation from the archives of the Sales Enablement Podcast, Brian and I talk about the science of performance improvement and how it relates to selling. Brian was a sports scientist with USA Track and Field, the organization that oversees the development of top track and field athletes in the country. And we dig into the science about how and why being in sales is like being an athlete. And Brian shares why we, meaning all of us in sales, need to adopt a more scientific approach to monitoring the things that truly do affect our performance in sales, like sleep, accumulated stress, recovery, nutrition, things that you know, we need to deal with every day. These are our personal performance KPIs. And these personal KPIs are much more likely to predict your ability to perform and the level of performance you can attain than your sales activity KPIs. Brian also shares how Leon is pioneering the field of wellness intelligence and talks about how they've created a wellness performance index to enable managers to more accurately understand and assess the readiness of their revenue performance teams. All right. We're going to get into all this and much, much more, but before we get to Brian, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it, iTunes, Spotify, and if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also leave us a review. Give us your feedback about how we're doing, so thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Uh, Pleasure having you. So, uh, tell us a little bit about Leon.
0: Yeah, um you know, I think the easiest way to put this is that, uh, you know, people don't quit their companies, they quit their managers. Right. (laughs) Um, and, uh, Leon was built to ultimately give managers, uh, better data, um, and actionable playbooks to be able to take care of their people. Um, so ultimately we can predict employee burnout. We can predict mental health issues. Um, we can uh, predict organizational resiliency and grit. And then on the back end, um, we actually quantify specific playbooks for managers to implement. Like, for example, um, yes, we can tell you, we can tell you the effect of implementing a four-day work week with a SaaS sales team. Um, we can so, tell you the effect of decreasing well, meetings. How, how yeah. do you do that? Yeah, so a um, bunch of different things. So, uh, I probably makes sense to back up a little bit. So, my background is in sports science. Um, so I worked with USA Track and Field um, ultimately to predict performance or predict injury mm. in professional athletes, right? Right. Um, and which we did is, that using data, so data science.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, which is a big thing these days in, in sports and yeah. too slow to be uptaken by by sales, I guess, is, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge soccer fan, so, you know, mm. sometimes I'm tuning on the tube to see one of my favorite players and he's sitting on the bench and it's not because he's injured, it's just because the data said, yeah, we predict there could be a higher probability of injury if he played today. So maybe that's we'll true. give him the last twenty minutes of the game as a sub.
0: Yeah, I mean that that's completely right. Um, you know, in sports we we did a bunch of things, right? So we'd look at anywhere from, you know, on the field testing um to muscle biopsies and blood testing and slow brainwave activity measuring and all sorts of different mm-hmm. things, right? And like I said before, ultimately, it was about predicting performance or predicting injury. Um, But when you really look at it, and a salesperson or a product manager, whoever it is, is the same biological organism as an athlete, right? That's the the way we perceive stress and deal with stress is really the same way. The only difference in an athlete is they have more like localized stress, right? Like their Achilles or their hamstrings or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like systemically, and biologically, the the stress response is the same, right? Sure. Um, So with Leon, uh, what we did is, uh, for the past roughly about three and a half years, we've been collecting uh, survey data and Salesforce data and Asana data and all these different things um, Mm -hmm. to ultimately develop a data model uh, to help us understand um, what type of performance drop-offs you see when you compare survey data with Salesforce data and whatnot. So ultimately, it's a, it's a data science model, and then we just give it inputs, right? So we say, all right, what happens if you implement a four-day work week? How does the data change? What happens when you eliminate meetings uh, for a certain period of time? Um, or even on the opposite side, because um, this is where it's pretty cool, is we don't just tell you the team's... That are beat up. We actually tell you the teams that are actually highly recovered as well, right? Because in sports, we're ultimately trying to drive adaptation, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're trying to cause stress right. and understand what happens. So uh, with Leon, we'll actually tell you the companies that are highly recovered or highly resilient and then provide you recommendations of how you can actually increase stress be it KPIs or OKRs or whatever
1: that is. Well, increase stress without increasing well being. Without right. decreasing so, well being, excuse me.
0: Right. So exact so ultimately it's it's not about the giving of stress that is the problem. It's the timing of that stress. Sometimes giving stress is a good thing, right? Because that causes an adaptation. It causes sure. an increase in performance. Other times it's not. So we'll tell you the we call them growth windows, we'll tell you the window of opportunity that you have with your specific team right now, and you either support them or you challenge them. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and I understand some of the physiology, physiology behind adaptation, but I mean, that, that works in sort of a, you know, muscular or you know, aerobics standpoint, but you know, when, if you're not sort of tracking those physiological factors, how do you tracking adaptability?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, one of the things that we tested is we looked at the viability of using sort of a survey and questionnaires and compared that against HRV measures, right? So we were able to show and actually sport has shown this as well, that a wellness questionnaire done at a specific cadence is just as predictable for overall systemic stress as heart rate variability is. Um, You just got to remove some of the noise out of the data. Right. Um, so yeah. So I mean, quite honestly, if an employee tells you they're stressed out, most of the time they are actually stressed out, and from there you just have to understand if you back off or you give more stress or, or whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that that's sort of the the thing, right? So there's a mm-hmm. survey that's just going to be released or has been released as part of Mental Health Awareness Month this month sure. from Uncrushed dot org of sure. sellers. And one of the notable sort of findings was that virtually 75% of the respondents said they felt extremely stressed or stressed. Uh, you know, is that, you know, it gets into that issue that we were start talking about before is, is yeah, sales is, is uh, you know, a certain element of stress that you're not going to be able to erase from it. But, yeah, we seem to have gone beyond the tipping point, right? And so what's, what's the role of the organization? What's the role of managers to be able to tamp that down and make it more productive?
0: Right? Um, You know, so if if you look at it, the the goals that we have as a company, or the goals ultimately that we have, right? Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily change. That's sort of the, the object of control, right? Um, most of the time what happens is we have the individual and we just throw stress at the individual. And when I say a stress, I mean like OKRs or upskilling or just whatever your performance goals are as a sales rep, right? Um, what we need to understand is that stress isn't necessarily the bad thing, right? It's the timing of the stress. All right. So what I argue is that we need to be more careful about how we organize and structure a period of performance for a group of sales teams, right? So that might be introducing back off weeks, right? That might be reducing you know, your, your uh, sales performance numbers, either if it's calls or meeting set, or whatever it is for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. So we need to like almost build in from an athlete perspective, like uh, peak weeks and recovery weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can allow this sort of like high performance, but then recovery and then high performance and recovery. Right? Because ultimately what's happening is we're looking for this linear curve of performance, right? Like we always right. want to have that, like that uh, fit, I say fitness, but I mean that on more of like a, a biological level or more of right. a, uh, not necessarily to be on a run a mile. We want that fitness curve to continuously go up, but what ends up happening with our, with sales performance, uh, we introduce stress and we continually introduce stress Right, without back-off weeks, without recovery periods, with anything along those lines. And what ends up happening is that overall fitness of that individual drops, right? So over mm-hmm. time, our employees are, their, 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 their resiliency or their grid or adaptability is decreasing over time. Sure. Where we need sure. to be able to have that increase over time, right? So to answer your question, we just need to be smarter about how we, give stress and set goals and uh, you know understand schedules and things like that. Because that's the only way that's going to change, right? Because stress is always going to be there. The goals of the company are always going to be there. Mm-hmm. You have to be smarter about how you manage it.
1: Right. And to your point, I mean, the way you you train for a marathon, right, is to be able to mm-hmm. take on more stress, right, uh, ultimately. So and I agree that 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 seems very useful. But it seems like the sort of barrier, if you will, really Mm -hmm. comes from the management ranks, right? Because they are the givers of the stress uh, more often than not. And certainly in sales, you know, we still have the sort of endemic macho attitude about suck it up, do what you got to do, so on and so on and so forth. What are you seeing in terms of your sales efforts when you're talking to companies about sort of management receptivity to this type of, of data and whether they're prepared to do anything about it, because, you know, I could give you a chapter and verse about things that we've talked about in sales that managers need to do to help drive improve performance, and there's not much in the way of adoption of these things.
0: Yeah, um, I agree. Um, and we're sort of going through this right now, right? Where, you know, Leon is a product built for managers. Um, But as soon as we start talking to managers about burnout or health or or anything along those lines, that the tendency is to sort of kick it up to H.R., right, (laughs) and and that that this is not a manager problem.
1: Yeah. Don't bring Um, your don't bring your personal shit to work,
0: Exactly. even though it's work induced.
1: But yes, go ahead.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I think we're we're starting to see where managers are becoming more like coaches, right? Like this is that sort of future of work concept, where you know they're they're more coaching individuals rather than just prescribing stress. You know, like you said. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely the barrier is there that managers, in a lot of ways, don't feel like they they need to manage this process, right? They say this right. is my goal. Your job is to push the number, and that's it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know. But that and, you know, and you so you had that same exact process in sports, right? For like you know the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties, it was like, you know, my job is to win a, a Super Bowl or win a gold medal, so I'm just going to destroy my team while I do that. But right. you know, obviously they smartened up and realized that the the athlete or the employee is ultimately the asset, right? And you need to be able to manage that asset appropriately.
1: Well, that seems to be the big gap, and I've talked about this on the show a lot: is the big gap between other performance-based pursuits like professional sports and sales is a we don't look at the seller as this athlete that uh, needs to be coached and nurtured and and trained a certain way um i was wondering how i mean i think what you're doing is a way to sort of try to close that gap because yeah, I mean, when you look at uh, just look at the way you know soccer teams staff their their teams in terms of the coaches, the nutritionists, and the, the physios, and and the, the sports psychologists, and you know we could have large sales organizations with two hundred sellers, and they have none of those things. You know, no specialized knowledge that comes in. And I said, that's why I'm excited about what you're doing. It's, it's beginning to do that. But it seems like to really make it happen, yeah, there has to be this cultural shift that says you have to look more holistically at performance as opposed to just did you make the number of calls today. Mm-hmm.
0: No, um, you're completely right. I, I think a lot of that comes down to is, you know, I, there's, a, there's a great book called uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Have you ever read it?
1: I've heard of it. I haven't read it.
0: Yeah, it's by, so it's by Sapolsky um, out of, uh, out of Stanford. And it's really, it's a book about stress, um, you know, and there was one study that he talked about, about uh, uh, Holocaust survivors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Holocaust survivors, what they did is they looked at uh, two or th- like I believe two generations later, um, and that they looked at the ability of their great-grandchildren to be able to adapt to stress, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and what they found was that the their great grandchildren lacked a certain hormone or an abundance of a hormone to adapt to stress mm-hmm. right um because ultimately their great-grandparents who survived you know the holocaust you know depleted that biological ability right and this is this concept of epigenetics and the reason i bring this up is it's important for managers to understand that you know it's n equals one and none of us are exactly the same all right. the way that I adapt to stress and the way that you adapt to stress right. are two very, very different things. so I think it starts with a manager's understanding that there is no um, blanket manager style or you know goal structure or anything along those lines that work, and that ultimately you do have to manage on a one-on-one basis. Um, and then from there, then you have to be able to be, you have to have a toolbox to understand the type of strategies to implement, right? To improve mm-hmm. these type of things. I don't think just managers have a good understanding of how to improve those things. And then going back to my last statement, the science behind it.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and this is not to critique sales managers, but we don't right. train them or enable them at all in the science of performance improvement. Mm-hmm. You know, the answer was always work harder or, you know, change these three words on the subject line of your email or say these three words at this time in this call. And it's not really done on the one-on-one level the way that, that it should even though, yes, coaching is, you know, future business, but that takes pretty slow, right? And that's why I'm so excited by things you're doing is, is for the managers who are open-minded to this, um, yeah, it gives them something to say, look, yeah, this is, this is a possibility of unlocking another aspect of actually improving performance looking at an individual level. I mean, there's some people that, we have a guy that could we have an episode on our show that interviewed Brandon Fluhardy that's, that's developing this venture to talk about, you know, the physiological aspects of performance and how that relates to sales, sleep, you know, rest, recovery, stress, um, very important.
0: Yeah, no, um, you know, and, and and it's really not that hard, Andy, to tell you the truth, um, you know, to, to give you like sort of in a general example, you know, for any of the sales managers listening, like all you really need to do is develop a, a three question survey on a scale of one to five, right? Asking about mm-hmm. stress, asking about sleep and asking about recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe do that before and after a sales sprint. Right? Um, right. That way you can get it sort of understanding as far as like what that what the cost of that sales sprint was. And then what you do is just track that out over a mm-hmm. spreadsheet over a long period of time. Right. And then you can get a little predictive with it. Like you can understand that, all right, in December and December is like sales goals, my team has a big drop off or coming out of right. December, they have a big drop off. Why is that right? right? And then maybe what you do, is you come into the next following year into December, maybe you back off a little bit, right? Maybe you give them a recovery week before December starts Mm -hmm. or before that next sprint. So it gives you a little bit more intelligence, right? You just need to be able to zoom out um, a little bit and just understand exactly what's happening with your team and within your organization from there. Then you can make decisions, right? Then you can talk about reducing hours or eliminating meetings or whatever that is or even on the opposite side giving your team more autonomy right? mm-hmm. like we talk about autonomy but if a team is really burnt out giving them our autonomy autonomy is not going to be a good thing right because at that point they need more support right. they don't need to just be left alone and tell them to go work on a side project right um do you well, know? Yeah. So the key think- is
1: right the key is recognizing when to give autonomy but but I think that is one of the issues that really creates and leads to burnout in sales these days is that given – we've got these wonderful technologies that now exist for sales, but the way they're being utilized by most managers is to, I believe, in a way that increases stress, right? Because now we're we're measuring the hell out of you every second of your day when, to your point before, is, is much like coaching needs to be done effectively on a one-on-one basis is – hey, every salesperson has their own unique way of, of looking at the world, responding to the world, engaging with the world. And rather than use the technology to take a more blanket approach to it, is we need to use it like a tool like Leon to say, hey, here's a more individual approach, and I can help this person fine-tune what they're doing to perform at a higher level.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. And, you know, one of the funny things about this is that we make a lot of assumptions when we do things, Right. Mm -hmm. Um, especially when it comes to management, um, you know, in in HR, you always have this concept of like, let's buy everybody headspace. Like that's going to (laughs) solve everything. Right. Right. But little did they realize that like, you know, that's for a lot of people, that's not the right fit, right? Like wellness and health and especially mental health is so subjective. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's ingrained in almost our biology to a certain extent, as far as how we recover Um, you know, it's driven from trauma and a bunch of other things. Um, You know, and like, for example, like a four day work week, like we've talked about that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We've actually saw that a four day work week for a a sales team, sometimes actually has a negative effect. um, And actually causes more stress, right. And understand that like a sales team is very different than a product team, right? Because Mm -hmm. It's not like when they implement that four-day work week, they're reducing goals. It's not like they're, by that reduced hours, um, the company is now increasing salary to a certain extent to make up for potentially the missed bonuses that you might have or the potential missed deals, right? Um, so that's where we get into this sort of concept of like understanding the strategies that we implement. Like, you know, you tell someone to eliminate meetings, like, I'm a salesperson. i be mean, like, what the hell do you mean unlimited limited meetings? Like, I can't do a meeting on Friday? Um, well, I, I
1: presume you're talking about internal meetings, the bureaucratic type that take away from selling time, but yeah.
0: Yeah, so like, um, so all those, you know, all those things matter, right? And you have to be able to, if if not quantify, at least understand the uh, the effect that you're trying to get with mm-hmm. the strategy that you implement.
1: Well, I think your point is really the one that that a lot of us are sort of driving at when we talk about performance improvement, is that every little thing matters. You know, just as uh, oftentimes, and I'm not the only one, cite this example of Dave Brailsford who ran the Sky Bike Racing team for Tour de France, who was famous for coining this phrase, you know, the aggregation of marginal gains. You know, there was nothing too insignificant for him to turn his attention to to try to get that that one not even one percent that fraction of a percent improvement because over a you know twenty three hundred mile race over 21 days uh the margin of victory could be a couple minutes which means less than a second a day right it's like razor thin and i think the same thing is works and sales right we have to sort of assume that increasingly as products become more commoditized and barriers to entry drop that our margin of victory is going to be razor thin. So what are the things that we can look at, and there's nothing too small, but what are the things we can look at to try to improve overall performance? And that's why I love this idea of looking at wellness and mental health and some of the physiological things that we just don't consider, even though we are in nominally this very sort of competitive athletic field.
0: No, and, and I agree, and to your point before, you know, uh, you know, we all love Gong, right? Or you know, any of these companies. Um, well,
1: you want to say Ring DNA here because they. They DNA, That's right. I'm yeah. sorry. You,
0: you can edit that out. Sorry, <laughs> I totally forgot. Um, so just edit out. We all love Ring DNA. Um, you know, but and we're giving we're giving great insight and great data. You know, into managers. But like mm-hmm. you said, that does increase stress to a certain extent. You know, to now know that every call that's listened to or monitored or whatnot um is going to be assessed you know it's it's tough you know and there's obviously value in it from a company standpoint and that it's it's a, it's a needed thing but you also have to back that up that if you're going to introduce more stress to your people and you're going to introduce more monitoring that you have to have it on the opposite side mm-hmm. right that you have to be able to understand that you are increased total you know, stress load on the individual. Then, how are you going to counteract that on the back end?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I. It's fascinating to think about, right? Because hopefully, we are moving beyond, like I said, sort of the the Stone Age in sales, where yeah, you know, we fundamentally manage it the same way we did a hundred years ago. Is we have all these technical the thing I've been advocating on the show is we have all these tools and technologies, things like Leon coming out we need to start taking advantage of them to help people become the best version of themselves. Um, and so, yeah, it seems like the barrier really is, really starts with with management. And so, as sort of interest, as I was going through all your materials, is like, okay, so when you're doing these assessments and you're doing these, these uh, wellness indexes and so on, are you including management in there? Because surely they feel, stress just as much as the sellers do
0: totally yeah totally they're they're part of the teams that when we when we do assess these type of things um and we're getting to the point right now where we can provide some sort of manager playbooks um for them to be able to sort of uh, mitigate some of the issues that they're going through Mm -hmm. um but majority of it's built on the employee right now but we are collecting their data and giving them recommendations for sure
1: so sort of in the face of what's happened over the last year, what, what are you seeing through your customers like the primary causes of burnout? I mean we sort of speculate, and we do because of sort of the abnormal situation we've all lived in. But but what are you what are you seeing in yeah. your data? What's what's driving burnout these days?
0: Yeah. Um you know, I, I think it makes sense to sort of back up and maybe define what burnout is, right? And then sure. we can go sure. from there. Um you know, burnout, most of the time when we talk about burnout in a on LinkedIn or Harvard Business Review or whatever it is, it's mm-hmm. it's most of the time at the end result, right? Like we talk about burnout as um, most of the time a mental health problem, right? Because right. that's the end result. It ends sure. up in depression. Um, but in the beginning, burnout is is really an allostatic load process, right? Where uh, your autonomic nervous system is getting taxed. Um, on a very, very high rate consistently, which mm-hmm. is causing a fight or flight response, um, over a long period of time, which at that point, you get stuck in that fight or flight response, right, right, and your body starts making these uh, hormonal changes, which then cause changes on a, on a, uh, on a, a brain level, right, which right. then lead to a depression and anxiety and all these right. other things. Um, so the the problem is is when you talk about what type of things are defining burnout, there is no one type of thing that defines burnout right because burnout is ultimately about systemic stress on an individual, either coming from personal or pandemics or work or, or anything along these lines mm-hmm. on those lines. The problem with burnout right now is we've le- we've leaned too far into the organizational psychologist world of understanding burnout, but it needs to be a uh, uh There needs to be a better discussion about understanding it from a physiology standpoint, a biology standpoint, as well as a psychology standpoint, right? right? Because That's the only time we're going to make sort of big changes. Um, So much like the uncrushed uh, thing that you um, that you mentioned the survey that you mentioned, um, over 82% of the, uh, the employees that we're tracking right now are trending towards burnout or in currently burnout within the companies that we work with.
1: And so, how's that? How's that being indicated in, in the data?
0: Um, how's that being indicated? Meaning, what are the? What is causing that? Yeah, I mean, if
1: you're a manager looking at a, a report, you know, or one sure. of your indexes, what are they seeing? What? What's the indication? Is it? Uh, I don't know. I, I've absenteeism? Is it? You know, workload? What? What are you seeing that says? Hey, yeah. A
0: you know, I, we don't we don't really assess it that way. To tell you the truth, okay. we don't, we're looking at total, total stress load of an individual. all right, to understand what is affecting that. Now, there are, and we did that purposely. And the reason that we do that is because we don't want it to take into account that either company culture is affecting burnout, because we that removes the concept of that the person's personal life can't be affected. All right. And that doesn't add to that. Right. So when we only look at burnout on an organizational structure, Mm -hmm. all right, then you're removing probably 85% of the other person's life that is adding to that. Right. Right. Um, So to answer your question, we don't know. Right. We just know that people are highly stressed out. And that the way that we go about trying to fix that is is by implementing some sort of strategy to help them recover.
1: Well, it's just interesting how what data you're gathering to indicate that the burnout is trending in a certain direction is this survey data that people do as part right. of your your app
0: yeah so it's a combination of things so um we have uh apple health gift data all right so that could be either measuring HRV or heart rate or sleep mm-hmm. um we have survey data um as well as some beta testing we're going through with salesforce data coming in so all that combined with survey right. salesforce and apple health data gives us a composite picture as far as what's going on individually.
1: Okay. So you do integrate data from like wearables and so on. If somebody has a a whoop or an aura or or what have you. Correct. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's cool. I've got my new, (laughs) my new (laughs) uh, eight sleep (laughs) pod cover, which is, uh, trying to help me sleep better, but, um, yeah, I mean, every morning I wake up, look at my uh, look at my sleep dashboard, my sleep debt, and, and uh, my HRV, and so on.
0: Yeah, and it's it's really interesting, too. It's like when you start taking in the physiological stuff, um, there's a lot of variables there, right? Like cause some people have um, higher HRV, some people have lower HRV. And what, some of the times the problem with whoop and whatnot what, is… Why don't you
1: explain uh, the HRV for people real quickly, just so yeah, they understand yeah, the sure. heart rate variability…
0: Yeah, so heart rate variability is a a measure of the time in between each heartbeat, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The uh, more variable, um, the more negative; the less variable, the more positive, right? Ultimately, what that's doing, it's giving us a snapshot of your parasympathetic or sympathetic branches of your autonomic nervous system. All right, so um, ultimately, we're looking for a balance between the two, right? Mm -hmm. We want to be slightly sympathetic, slightly parasympathetic when you stress yourself out or burn out, you have a tendency to go highly sympathetic, right? You go into a fight or
1: flight response. So less variability in the heart rate between heart, Correct. between heartbeats, ah, Correct, okay, yes. sort intuitively um, opposite of what you would think, but yeah, yeah.
0: So and then on the opposite end, when ends up happening, long term is with the sympathetic branch, what ends up happening is you get so stuck in a sympathetic branch. That the sympathetic actually shuts down, and you go into a very, very deep parasympathetic response, um, where your body can't invigorate itself anymore, mm-hmm. right? and it can't actually get excited or for work or anything along those lines. What ends up happening longer term is that's when you see that parasympathetic that, uh, that depression and anxiety kick in right. because the sympathetic response has been so fatigued um, that the body can't recover anymore.
1: So it's like the equivalent of you know a distance runner overtraining. One hundred percent.
0: It's exactly yeah. it's exactly yeah. the same thing. There's actually no difference in it um, with the the on a physiological level right. between burnout and overtraining. We just only look at it from an organizational standpoint.
1: Right. Well, again, this is why it's so interesting. Is that yeah, the human body affects your ability to sell at, at many levels, and. Uh, yeah, as much as you want to say, look, whatever happens outside the office just doesn't matter. Don't bring your baggage with us. To your point earlier is yeah, eighty maybe eighty-five percent of it is dictated by things that happen outside work.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, rest, recovery. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's my hope, and especially you know managers listening to this that you, you look at things like this because. Quite honestly, you look at sales performance, uh, at least th- there's not much data that, that sort of compares growth and sales productivity and sales performance. But in general, the data, as far as we can tell, says that look, we haven't gotten any better at this over the last <laughs> 30, 40 years, technology notwithstanding. Uh, and part of that is because we're trying to pull the same levers that we've always pulled. And there's only a limited amount that you're gonna get out of pulling those levers. And so if we're really serious about performance, we have to look at these other aspects. Uh, And if I understand from what you're saying, which certainly would make sense, is to the degree we start looking some of this more holistically at performance as individuals, is that we then begin to address at least some of the work-related mental health issues, perhaps, or have the potential to, that we're not addressing today.
0: Yeah. um you know, I, I, I think what it comes down to, Andy, is that we're moving to a, we're moving to a, an area where the conversation is being had, right, where mental health mm-hmm. and burnout, and all these things are, are actually there. Um, but what we need to move towards is is understanding how to mitigate these things, right? And right. Um, it's everything we do right now is complete. It's it's reactionary, right? It's right. Oh, shit, my employees are burned out what do I do? Um, where we need to zoom out a little bit and look at everything, like you said, on a holistic level to understand how we can mitigate that to begin with. Um, right. And, and that's, that's the problem, right? And, you know, I, I think we're moving towards there. But that's what we don't, that's, what we don't have yet is, you know, understanding the the correct, actionable strategies to implement to mitigate these things before they ever happen.
1: Well, and I think that, at least for me, the encouraging thing about this, At least, if it's implemented the right way by by managers, is is that you really can start looking at things on an individual level that you were overlooking before. So, yeah, one things that happens in sales, as you know, is managers put people into strata, right? You're a player, B player, C player, unmindful of most of what's behind that ranking right whether the person's mm-hmm. burned out whether the person has certain things going on that could be addressed that that from a mental health perspective or whatever and yeah it's my great hope that and i have always rebelled against that right because i think it's it's we sort of come in this current age we're sort of obsessed with this idea of top performers um and the goal should be is we want everybody to be good at mm-hmm. what they do and 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 if we have more data, not just about the calls they make and not just about the calls, you know, within the calls, what's happening within their calls, but what's happening with the person uh, that it gives us a better chance of, of helping more people build a, a career that's sustainable in sales.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and you hit the nail on the head. It's, not everybody's going to be a top performer, right? And we, we tend to build our, our, our sales I guess program for lack of a better word to build top performers. Um, but it's not like sports in that sense, right? It's not like mm-hmm. people are going through, you know, T-ball to little league to Babe Ruth to, you know, high school to college to pros, right? Like there's there's no graduate, there's no period there where you know, you like they're they're not getting weeded out, right, when they come yeah, to Yeah, there's work no minor league. Game. Exactly, right? So we have we do have to understand that the goals that we set for our people and the environments we create need to be built for for everybody to a certain extent, and not just top performers or high performers or whatever that is. And, yeah, you know, I think that's where that, that sports analogies uh, probably become a little bit of an issue. Sure. Um, because you know, and a lot of times they're, they're not a professional athlete, you know, and a lot of times you do have to treat them like they're uh, you know a high schooler. I mean, from a from a stress level standpoint, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, this is this is one of the the areas that's of concern to me too is is that actually some organized sports at the professional level, again soccer being an example, oftentimes do quite well is is as part of their onboarding of people into an organization, is as one manager said, yeah, we we train the person before we train the player. And we sort of have this assumption in business and sales in particular that the people we hire have these sort of fundamental human skills, uh, resilience, and ability to adapt, and so on. That maybe they they don't have. Maybe they haven't been exposed to the environments, or they had to develop that. Maybe they've never been you know socialized that way. And we should be paying attention to that, and we should say, "Hey, this is part of what we're doing." Is is yeah? We're going to add some time into our onboarding. We're going to add some some learning, some education or curriculum into our onboarding process to, to help people with this, because this was so important.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I agree. We've uh, it's, it's funny, like that word resilience, right? Um, Cause it gets, thrown, it gets thrown around a lot and it's a great word. And ultimately that's what we're trying to do with right. our employees is that we're trying to make them more adaptable, right? Like mm-hmm. we want to know that if we give them stress, all right, that they're going to be able to adapt to it positively right. right right but to your point like resilience on an individual level is dictated by so much that we have no control over um you know your mother or father probably has more of an impact of your individual resiliency than your manager your company ever will <laughs> yeah.
1: you know well, well someone someone wants to ask me yeah what's, what are the, what's the cause of, of poor salespeople? And I said, bad parenting. But um, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, but that's honestly true. And it, and it, 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 it begs to mention is that the way that we manage people need to, li- it needs to live and breathe, right? right? Like nothing we do in sales should ever be um, stoic, right? It should never be something that is not malleable or adaptable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's too many inputs, like there's too many things that come along. So, you know, again, going back to that N equals one approach, it's, uh, you know, we need to be able to look at everything we do on a leadership standpoint, if it's schedules, if it's, you know, our KPIs or whatever goal structure we implement mm-hmm. to upskilling or whatever, and it all needs to be adaptable to the individual and the team at uh, where they're at right now within, uh, within their current life.
1: Yeah. No, I agree 100%. I, I one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard. It was early in my career as a business school professor and was lecturing at our sales kickoff meeting at this startup I was with at that time. And and he said that in his mind, the the number one skill you need to develop for success was a tolerance of ambiguity and it speaks this whole idea of adaptability right it's because we live in a world that's full of ambiguity you know just look at the rapid pace of change we've seen over the last 20 30 40 years with technology that's changed so much of the way we conduct our lives um you have to be prepared for things changing you have to be prepared for things being uncertain for the rules not being clearly laid out and be able to adapt to operate within those environments, and that fundamentally is what, in my mind, is what sales is about, right? Every time you go talk to a buyer, they may fit an ideal client profile, but you're talking to an individual who has his own unique or her own unique ways of looking at the world and a way of gathering data and processing data and and you know get, linking and connecting with another person. Every time, it's going to be different. And you have to be adaptable to that. If you think that it's all going to fit a cookie cutter process, then you're setting yourself up for ultimately burnout.
0: Yeah, no, uh, I agree. You know, especially when we look at timelines, you know, especially with salespeople, we love timelines, right? Like we love this idea that within 90 days, you should be here within six Mm -hmm. months. You should be here within a year. You should be there. Right. And that, that just doesn't work. Um, Because there's there's too many inputs that are influencing that timeline, right? Right. But everybody is on their own performance plan, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's, it's like when we first start uh, a new part, like an intern or a a new employee, we've gotten better at this. Um, But most of the time, what happens is we just throw as much stress at that person as we possibly can within the first year, right? It's like a sink or swim mentality, right? You know, but if you think about it, if it's a new employee, you know, either he or she just moved out of their parents' house for the first time, is in a new, um, you know, city, potentially with a new job and a new social structure, and is probably feeling the most amount of stress they've ever felt in their whole entire life.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at the way we, we set up our sales development reps and sales organizations. They're the newest, most least experienced, least experienced. I was gonna say the most inexperienced, but least experienced. Uh, they fit the profile you start talking to first. For many, probably the first job out of college, and yeah, the stress we level on them with the the expectations of what they're going to do uh, with so little training, and, and certainly so little training from an an emotional intelligence standpoint. Uh, that's that's almost criminal because yeah, you know, the most you get from a manager is oh rejection. Nah, don't take it personal. It's mm-hmm. like that's it. <laughs> well, I guarantee <laughs> yeah. they're taking it personally I've been in the, <laughs> I started in sales making cold calls yeah it, it felt very personal um, and yeah may have one of the ones that maybe got through it okay but lots of them don't the reason a lot of people don't work out I suspect is not because they're not capable of doing the job but you know the circumstances we put them into mm-hmm. we don't prepare them for it at all
0: no uh, I, I agree it's you know, sending a cold email or or, listen, I'm a founder, right? Mm -hmm. And I still have a lot of issues making cold calls, right? It stresses me the hell out. Mm -hmm. Um, and you would think I I don't have anybody over top of me who's telling me that I need to make a cold call, (laughs) right? You know, I don't, I don't have some, like, I'm not on some performance plan that's telling me that I'm about to lose my job in six months. Right. Um, you know, so those things are impactful to people and going back to our resiliency discussion, um, some people don't have the resiliency to do that within the time frame that you want them to do exactly. it. Exactly. And that's, that's the, the most, that's the most important thing. And that's why going back to, it's not the thing that you do. It's the timing of the thing that you do. Mm-hmm. All right. And that's what we need to understand is that if we want to build resilient organizations full of culturally diverse people, um, then we have to zoom out a little bit and manage on a a more real time basis. Uh, So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I
1: I hearken back to when I got hired my first job out of college, working for a huge computer corporation and like the big tech companies of the day, this is sort of pre Silicon Valley in some respects is, yeah, they needed, let's say they needed 1,000 sellers. They hired 3,000, right? Every year. And with the express goal that some number of people are going to be sort of weeded out. But there weren't these, like, you had to do X by X time frame, is, it tended to be fairly organic. People sort of came to that realization themselves to a large extent that over the course of a year that, hey, this just wasn't for them. Uh, but we do nothing similar today, even though we're s- technically doing the same thing, we're weeding people out, but you know, we're not, we're not hiring extras or just hiring the number we need and the pressure's mm. intense.
0: No, I, I, I agree. Um, and that's where, that's where data comes in, man. It's like, yeah. You know, we we can know how stressed out these people are, right? But the problem is, is we do six month engagement surveys, you know, and, we, and that makes some big organizational pivot. Right. By that by that time, you've already you know you've already lost fifty percent of your sales team, you know, um,
1: or you've that, lost that, them in, you've lost them in place. I mean, that's it, I think that's something that happens more frequently. To your yeah. the point we talked about earlier is people just get sort of burnt out and the productivity slows down and, and they become increasingly frustrated because they're wondering why that's, they're not developing the way they thought or, you know, things aren't happening for them as well as they did before. And yeah. they're sort of there.
0: Would, and, but that goes back to that, that people management aspect, yep. right? Is that, you know, there's, there's, well, listen, we all love HR, right? I mean, HR is fantastic, but there's also a case where like we need to save HR a certain extent right is that mm. as managers we're the first line of defense man like we're that we're that coach that needs to understand that if mental health or burnout or you know alignment issues or diversity and inclusion issues if that's happening like we're the ones who find out about it first and we're the ones that can address it but we wait and kick it up to hr because we just wash our hands of it and say i have a i have a, a goal to manage right right um and that's, that's not leadership. That's not performance no. management.
1: No, no I, I agree. I think, yeah, I divide the world now into management's sales managers into, at whatever level they're at, into two camps. So they're sales bosses or they're sales leaders. You know, the bosses are sort of the command and control old school, which is not old these days because it's still the vast majority of sales managers, is, yeah, you know, directive uh as opposed to coaching development in you know development oriented and a little more empathetic and 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 a lot of it comes from you know the pressures the managers feel are as intense as the ones the sellers feel these days and so uh you know we're not equipping them with the tools they need and to understand and deal with stress and become more resilient and adaptable again we we promote them we assume just because we promoted them they have these tools and and they don't either and i think that in general in sales is, is we're only going to go as far as, as we take the frontline managers and right now we're not, we're not doing well by frontline managers and not equipping them to, to operate in this environment.
0: Yeah. Um, and again, like I, I agree, um, we're, we're in a situation where even with your, your top tier salespeople, your high performers, we expect every manager to be a high performer, Mm -hmm. right? Or like this super extroverted, you know, ABC sort of like, you know, build high performing teams all over the place, right? Like they're like the Bill Belichick of like, sales managers, like that's what we expect everybody to be. But a lot of times, you can be a great leader and not be a great leader. Does that make sense? And I mean, yeah. I mean, from a stereotypical level, right? right? Um, and that's okay. But we expect everybody, all our managers to excel on one on ones, right? And to like, rah, rah, and be this great motivator. And to, but most of the time, our managers don't have the toolbox. Like if you're, an, right. if you're an introverted manager, you need to be able to understand what you can do without you know getting up and you know giving your best like glengarry glen ross impersonation you know in front of your sales team you know and that's what we rely on you know where um and a lot of it is you know we handcuff our managers in a lot of ways yeah you know like we we can't like i should be able or you should be able to tell your sales team take two days off you know, or reduce your hours this week or mm-hmm. let, you know, let's, you know, let me bring in an expert to talk about mental health, right. you know, um, without it being an inclusivity issue to a certain extent. Like right. if you gave this person a day off, you need to give it to the rest of it because That's not fair either because that impacts mm-hmm.
1: everybody. Right. Very Interesting. All right, Brian, we could go on and on. This is great. Um, well, I'm excited to see what, what will come about with Leon, and, and um, yeah, we'll definitely have you back on and talk about it in the future again. So if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
0: Yeah, um, so you can just find me on LinkedIn or um, you know, go to myleon.co and you can check us out. Um, but we have some really good, uh, really interesting data coming out over the next like three to four months now, so I'm excited to show you guys.
1: Oh, good. Yeah, I look forward to seeing it. So, all right, Brian, thank you so much.
0: I appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Brian Smith, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.